Hello, welcome to another edition of the Raw Podcast. If you're listening to this through iTunes, feel free to um, give the podcast a bit of a rating, you know, click on the, the stars and give it a four or five stars, that would be most appreciated, or however you're listening to the podcast through a particular app, if you can review it, please do, or just um, post or retweet um, the podcast links uh, to your friends and family, so they could listen or to the Tiger supporters around the world as well. Uh, this episode is a focus in on a particular player who was a teenager and he came to the club in the under-19s and he was trying to obviously make it into the reserves and subsequently the seniors. But that all changed one fateful day at Gosh's Paddock. So this is an interview with Peter Turley. Hello, Rhett. Peter. How are you going? I'm well, yourself? I'm pretty good, thanks. Now, let's just start with the football record and, and trophies. Um, did they always get your surname correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's, uh, you wouldn't think it would be that hard, would you? So it wasn't just, wasn't just specific to, um, to Richmond. That happened at the junior football club, too, oh. at, at Oakley. I've still got a trophy here with the name P. Turkey on it. I think my, my brother's got one, Jeff Turkey. Uh, you would think when you engrave the name Turkey, unless you had some smarty, they're doing it for a joke, but um, it's hard to figure out how that happened. Yeah, and a couple of times got my whole name wrong and called me Colin Simpson, who I remember was a bit of a lookalike in the under-19s at Richmond, and I got that in the record. So, yeah. So, so I, don't remember, I don't ever remember going the other way, though, Rhett, where I got given something that I didn't actually do. Oh, right. <laughs> or I got someone else's goal, yeah. <laughs> you weren't mistaken for Royce Hart or anything like that. No, no, that's right. <laughs> so you're telling me that there, there, there's a player in Richmond around the same time who the footy record confused you with on one particular day, is that right? Oh, yeah, look, it was only on the 19s one day. Actually, it might have been, I think it might have been my first game, funnily enough, <laughs> um, which made it worse because... I think I was 15, and um, it was a pretty big thing. Yeah. I kicked a goal, which I was pretty happy about. And, uh, of course, went for the record the next week and uh, had C. Simpson in there, who was Colin Simpson, who was, I remember as a ripping bloke. But he had the blonde hair, but similar to me. So that that was a bit disappointing <laughs> at the time, yeah. Now, what year are we talking there? Uh, 1980. I was under 16. I was playing under 16s at Mount Waverley. I was 15. 1984, that would have been. Yeah, so, so, so hold on, R- Richmond. You was you were under you were under sixteens at Mount Waverley at that point. Yeah, I, was, I started out. I was an Oakley junior. I played almost with the Oakley juniors, but I think Oakley juniors at that stage finished at under fifteens. There may have been an under seventeen team, but the guy at Mount Waverley under sixteens uh, was pretty proactive, Alan Evans, and he put together a pretty good under sixteen team. So I was travelling through the skill squads at Richmond at the time, and then. Um, I went up to Mount Waverley and played one year in the under-16s up there. Um, but that year would sort of go and train at Richmond. I might have been going in there one night a week to train with the 19s, yeah. Because it was a Richmond and area, I, was it? Yeah, so Oakley was very much a Richmond area. Yeah. And uh, grew up in Oakley, supporting Oakley, and, yeah, very much connected to Richmond. I think everyone from around there, that zone. And then, of course, up through Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley was all the boys at that stage, um, you know, the Laffies and the Pickerings and all right. the Callers and all those guys. So they were all sort of Glen Waverley boys. So you sort of knew each other along the, along the way there? Yeah, they were, well, those particular ones were a year older than me, but I had played against them. But um, they all went through the skill squads as well. So, 
you certainly got to know who they were and were connected to them, yeah, through the area. Now, did you barrack for Richmond, bud? Yes, I did, yeah. Oh. I was mad, Richmond. That's lucky. <laughs> yeah, look, mum and dad were both Richmond, they're very passionate, and um, my first recollection, I still remember mum taking me to 19, the 1973 and 1974 grand finals, so I was only five or six years old. Oh. So I got, you know, the vague memories of that, but yeah, no, I was passionate Richmond, so yeah, it worked out well, it worked out well. When I got the invite down there, yeah. And Doug Searle was Richmond's under-19s coach. That's uh, right. He yeah. himself had played, uh, he played for what, Collingwood, was it, from memory? Fitzroy and Collingwood? Yes. It was Fitzroy and Collingwood, yeah. I think he played in the, the 66 grand final where they played, lost to St Kilda. Um, but he was a very, I mean, in the annuals of coaching, he's a very yeah. famous <laughs> coach for the yeah. under-19s, etc. Your memories of him? Oh, look, I, I was thinking about him um, a little bit earlier. He he had a skill, I think, where he could definitely, he would instill confidence, but he, he was a hard, he was pretty hard taskmaster. Oh, right. And he would drive guys, but he was, he was all, at the same time, he would, he, he would make sure they knew that he believed in them and they were good players. You know, I, I still remember him saying to guys in the 90s, you know, you'll be a senior player. You're good enough to be a senior player. Well, you know, like, why aren't you doing this, this, this? Mm. You, you know, you're better than that. So he had a, I think that was probably his real skill. You know, he's got little comments that you remember along the way. I still remember him saying to Jeff Hogg, you know, you're a senior player. If ever I've seen a senior player, you're one. You know, you're a senior player if ever I've seen one. So I imagine a young guy, he's that. Yeah. That's a, probably something that sticks with them. I mean, it still sticks with me, that comment. There was another guy, a uh, very quiet guy called Michael Clark that went to the under-19s from Mount Whaley with me. He was a great footballer, but very quiet. And I remember Surly always getting into him and trying to pump up his confidence. I think he recognised that confidence and belief was such an important thing for, for young guys. Yeah. He managed, and, and that sort of shows in his record. I mean, the, the one year that he wasn't here, that wasn't there, sorry, hmm. which I think was a couple of years after 86. that. 86, yep. Yeah, the team nosedived. <laughs> um, so you've got a crop, you know, a similar crop of players, I imagine, or it's an anomaly really that one year. I think we probably finished bottom or second bottom. And so they, of course, sent the SOS out to Surly. He came back the year after and, um, yeah, straight back up into a grand final again. So, Yeah, for those yeah. listening to this uh, this chat, Searle coached in 84 and 85, where the under-19s won the premiership in 85. Yeah. And then he's not coaching in 86, and then he comes back 87, 88, 89, under-19s coach again for the senior, yeah. uh, premiership, and then 1990. Yeah. Um, yeah. In 1986, Richmond under-19s finished last. They won. It was last. They won yeah. three games, which included a game where Fitzroy fielded an ineligible player, so they were given four points, Richmond. Okay. Um, so they won, you know, the second game and then round 17, and that was it. And they lost, we're talking big, you know, 156 points, 137 points, yeah. 146 points. I mean, that's just incredible. Some floggings. Mm. What, do, do you, do you understand, can, you, can you shed light as to what happened? Why they got rid of what happened with Doug? I haven't, I haven't reached out to him. I know he was in a bit of ill health lately, so I'm just yeah. in that. But, yeah. but do you know what happened? No. I don't recall the reasons for him not being there yeah. for that year. You just know he wasn't um, so there. I'd hate, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd hate to speculate. I, I spent the whole year of 85 in the gym and um, looking forward to, to 86 and because uh, I'd done my knee. But then I came back in 86 and, um, yeah, Doug was gone and, and Rod O'Bourne came in. So oh, the right. reasons that he went, I, yeah, I couldn't I – couldn't, 
I couldn't speculate on. Uh, well, they pretty quick. Richmond and coaches in the eighties weren't always the best no. uh, relationships, were they? Let's be honest. No, so. no, no. Now, Rod O'Born did coach a part. I've also got Ray Ball as part in eighty six too. So it sounds like that year was a pretty haphazard. Um, yeah, well, I think yeah, the results, uh, yeah, yeah oh, it probably drove that early on. I, I haven't looked back myself over them, but I think there was a battle um, even from early on in the pre-season. Uh, I wouldn't want to point the finger at Rod O'Born, but perhaps there was, you know, the players maybe just didn't respond to him and also the personnel mightn't have been, yeah, been yeah. there. Uh, but in that particular year, as I said, just an, an anomaly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think the confidence fell off the cliff pretty early and we were a bit rudderless and then... Um, I imagine the club thought they had to do something. I can't remember if Rod O'Born was pushed or if he said, look, I've had enough. Hmm. Um, i have to check yeah. that. It might be in the annual report somewhere. I'll, check, I'll look into that. Yeah. And I don't remember. Hmm. I think it was with Ray Ball was involved at the time. Uh, I'm not sure what his role was prior to him then oh, assisting. Right. But there was numerous coaches, I think, that year. Um, Barry Rollings was heavily involved with the whole junior program. Oh, so the skill squads and the recruitment and... Um, he used to come out to the schools, and he was fantastic, Barry Rollings. And I know he, he coached us for a game or two, and um, and Peter Walsh also. Oh, right. Uh, he was another – yeah, so he's another ripping guy, you know, just a larger-than-life larger, larger than life personality. So he took us for a couple of games. I, remember, I think he might have coached us out at the Western Oval one day, in recollection. And, um, yeah, so everyone chipped in to, to help get us through um, – but it was a bit of a poison chalice that year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange one. Yeah, so it was one of those anomalies that, yeah, looking you, back. Oh, mm. And you mentioned Barry Rollins. Um, yeah. Well, he, you know, he man, he also worked for, what did he work for? Puma, Adidas, one of those. I can't remember now which ones. But he... I'd guess Puma if I had to have a yes. guess. I think he was always in the Puma That's gear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the sponsorship worked. Yeah. Well, I think we had... Puma gear as well. I remember the shorts and that they gave us. I'm pretty sure with oh, Puma. Barry's yeah. organised that. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> yeah. And so he was he was a person who he he went around to schools and clinics and stuff like that, didn't he? Yeah. Well, That's I remember my, my memory to, too. Yeah, coming to some of our school games um, out at St Joseph's Ferntree Gully. We, I went to Salesian College in Chadston. I remember one day out at St Joseph's in Ferntree Gully, we had some big pubs. Probably you know a senior year eleven, year twelve yeah, yeah. senior school game and yep. the big punch ups. We had big punch-ups, like a couple of really big ones in that game, as happened occasionally between some of the schools. And I remember Barry coming in and, and at three-quarter time and getting stuck right into us um, to pull our heads in, basically. Yeah. It's not what it's all about and all that. So he was out, out watching the game. I suppose he was scouting around. And, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, did you know, were you aware that there might be scouts at these sort of games looking out for you? Uh, or Richmond, not, you know, Richmond and watching? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, I reckon Ray Lord might have oh, come yes. to a game or two of mine. So sure. yeah. he was always sort of um, – he had a relationship with me and, of course, got to know my dad a bit. Um, but I remember him coming to a couple of school games. Mm. So, yeah, you sort of were aware. And, and, and their skill squad started quite early as well. So um, you're aware that they knew what you were up to and that they yeah. were out and about, yeah. You mentioned Probably earlier that in 85 you were in the gym. Um, yeah. For the um, you mentioned this to me on an email. How did you mm. injure yourself? <laughs> I still can't believe it, Peter. I shouldn't be laughing. I just can't believe it. Oh, well, I mentioned how that year I played at Mount Waverley with, but then I sort of trained at Richmond with a view to um, playing full time at Richmond the following year when I was an under seventeen and playing under nineteen. So 
the idea, of course, was to have a good pre-season and get stuck into it. So Shirley was the coach that year in 85, and um, we used to trot over the footbridge there, the old footbridge, over to Gosh's Paddock, mm-hmm. which probably wasn't the surface then that it is now because of Melbourne train there now, of course, on Punt Road there. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember it was the start of February, and um, we were training on Gosh's, and we played a little scratch match, and... I, led to, I remember it vividly. <laughs> I don't talk about it often because it's not a happy memory. Yeah. Most people don't really want to listen to it. But I, um, I, um, he didn't kick the ball to me properly anyway, the fullback, and I went to dodge it. I picked it up, went to dodge a guy, and my foot went into a sprinkler and just went crack, you know, and I didn't about, – that hurt like buggy, but I, I didn't really know what, what had happened. I, at that stage, I didn't have any knowledge of, you know, ACLs or anterior cruciate ligaments or knee injuries really. And uh, I just remember writhing in pain and – so Surly sent me back to the club rooms and mm. um, off I went from there and I wandered back back over the footbridge, saw the doc who um, he said you probably would be right in four weeks or so and uh, off I went. I walked back to the railway station at Richmond and got the train home and walked home. What was the um, diagnosis in the end? Um, well, it didn't improve. The knee didn't improve over a period of time, so um, eventually they sent me to a specialist. I think it was Ian Henderson at the time, and the specialist who said, yeah, look, you, you have no ACL, so you've snapped your ACL. And um, But I think you're too young to have an E-Rico. So I was 16, it would have been 16 there, 16 and a half at that stage. So he advised just to do a, a full rehab on the, on the leg and build up the muscles around the knee. So I spent pretty much all that year just travelling in and going to the gym. So um, I didn't play a game at all. Right at the end of the year, I think we um, played a game up the bush as a sort of a trial game at Charlton, funnily enough. Uh, that was my first game for the year. It was like a practice match at the end of the year, which is a bit weird. Who did we play there? Uh, Ourselves or...? Oh, I might reckon it might have been a scratch match. Right, okay. Yeah. Sort of yeah, yeah. Um, which was an unusual thing. I still don't recall the reason for that. But so yeah, that whole year was basically spent inside the gym, which made it tough. Made it tough to get to know people and um, and that sort of thing. So I was sort of a bit of a shag on a rock there, you know, for the for the mm. year. But mm. I got to know the inside of that gym very well and the squash courts where we used to get changed. I was going to ask about the facilities at Punt Road at that stage. How was the gym? Well, it was plenty of weight to lift. It was enough weight there for me. Yeah. <laughs> plenty there for me to lift. But it was, yeah, the old-fashioned pulleys and that sort of thing. But it was always lively. There was um, the weightlifters in there. So I remember a guy called Robert Cabass was always in there. So Robert Cabass trained out of Punt Road. And um, I think he won a couple of Olympic medals. He might have gone to three Olympics. He did too. Uh, You're right. Yes, I came across yeah. a photo of him yeah, training so at was... Punt Road in a Richmond, in a Richmond jumper. Yeah, so he was always, he lived in there, um, a friendly, ripping guy as well, and he had his young weightlifter mate, Gary Young, who ended up being our runner, I think, in the Rod Oborn year. Mm-hmm. Gary Young was also a weightlifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure he had the same success as Cabas, but I think Cabas might have won one of his medals in 84, perhaps. Mate, you're um, spot on. He won a silver medal in the lightweight category at the 84 Summer Olympics. There you go, yeah. One of the most successful weightlifters to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games. And he went to yep. three Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Goodness So Jesus. he was, yeah, he was a big extrovert sort of guy, so I'd throw the weights around. Um, so sorry, he was, so he, he, that was his training area, was it? Well, he was always there. Yeah. Yeah. So look, whether he was going to, he was probably, well, I imagine he was working at the time. Like, we would rock up 
after four o'clock. Yeah. And well, actually, no, we would train. The seniors would train first, and we would train after the seniors. So he was always there at night time. So I'm I don't know if he had a day job, but he was always there, sort of after five, um, whenever I was there. That's he's one of my main. Uh, recalls of being in the gym as, as him and then the senior guys all floating in when we were training all the senior guys would float mm-hmm. in and, and do their extras at the time and um, they were always polite and looked after me but yeah so and there were squash courts there many people listening to this may not realise there were squash courts at the Richmond mm. ground where were they do you remember <laughs> yeah well they were in that under the grandstand so if you walked in directly under the grandstand into the gym you would then go into a you walk towards through the gym yeah. towards the ground. There was another like coaches room. That's right. And then if you went left, they were down the left down the hallway, and there was the squash courts there under the grandstand. That's what I, what I recall. Mm. And um, in there, they had makes a makeshift uh, little training room area set up where they just basically put up chipboard and um, frames and that for <laughs> for the medical room yeah. and uh, a couple of rub down tables and you'd get strapped in there and that was the medical facility and the change rooms all in one for the for the 19s when the seniors were there i mean when the seniors weren't there of course we could use the the main rooms up the other end for, for match days and oh, uh, yeah. or pre-season training if they weren't around we did get to use the, the better facility occasionally but during the year yeah the training it was always the squash court yeah, but I, mean, I suppose as a kid, I didn't really know the difference uh, between us and other clubs. I'm not sure yeah, what true. standard the other clubs' rooms were in. I mean, I don't recall any of the other change rooms. I think I played at nearly all the other VFL grounds. Um, I don't recall any of them being flash yeah. at all now when you look around, when you think back to you know, the Western Over, Windy Hill, all of them. Uh, Victoria Park, probably in a similar state. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty basic, but... Um, as I said, you're not really knowing any any different at the time. Um, but I can imagine, yeah, that grandstand, I think about up, up in that grandstand, I know they packed it out the other week. They had the final there, didn't they? So yeah. obviously they must have done a fair bit of refurbishment. Yeah. To, I, think to, hold to, a, I think it can hold a 1,000 or something like that. They, they, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So they, they've got to decide yeah. whether to do, do that yeah. or knock it down and build a much better, you know, thing, whatever sort of thing. So, But they've got yeah. the money, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, can, yes. they can decide. I didn't know whether it would be heritage listed obviously if they're talking about knocking it yeah. down it mustn't be I, suppose. I was trying to look into it i don't think there's a i don't think it's ever been heritage listed or um the exterior perhaps is or some sort of part design of it might be you know like right. the yeah. side of it i don't know so whether it all yeah. goes completely i'm not i mean i hope not but anyhow uh, or, yeah. or whether they you know have to keep the the staircase the or something like that yeah you know, certain parts least. of it um so in total you were at richmond in the under 19s for how many years? Um, one, two, three, four. And four you, start, years, you started yeah. as a 15 year old. Yeah. And yep. the the year where you played the the most games would that be 86? Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the year. So because the end of 86, when my um, I played the year without an ACL, and oh goodness, my <laughs> knee would buckle every now and then would just buckle on me. And the thing is, it would so it would pop out and pop back in because oh. there was no. There was no cruciate ligament there to support it. So I think at times I probably looked a bit tentative, but I managed to hold my own. I actually didn't have too bad a year. Um, but at the end of the year, I sort of said, I can't keep doing this and went to see a different surgeon named David Young, who um, he advised me to 
to give it away. He said, look, if you're not going to be a senior player, you're not going to make good money out of it. I'd advise you maybe just to stop now. Mm. I sort of said, well, That's I was advice. 17, 18. I said, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit early for that. So he, um, he advised me to put an artificial ligament in. He was experimenting at the time with, uh, with artificial ligaments made out of Dacron, which is what they he said at the time they make yachts out of. So at the end of 86, I had that first little operation where they put the artificial ligament in. And um, then the next year on Surly's return, um, I spent sort of half the year in rehab again. And that was the year that Craig Lambert, Tony Free, and Trent Nichols and all those guys turned up. And uh, I was in the gym again for a chunk of that. And Surly's probably gifted me a couple of games. You, you probably felt sorry for him because he was there when I first did it. Yeah. So, of course, he'd come back and here I was back in the gym again. And... Um, yeah, he, through the middle of the year, I remember he gave me a game at Junction Oval, and I was, Ricky Jackson was playing and those sort of guys, but I was just a long, long way off the pace, having missed what I'd missed, and hmm. I sort of thought, you know, it's probably time to, to move on. Yeah. But how many how many so, reconstructions did you have in total? Well, that was my first one with the artificial ligament, and that was on the on the right near the original injury. Then I went back to Oakley in the BFA, and in a couple of years, it was starting to get wobbly again. Hmm. So I went and saw uh, my first surgeon, Ian Henderson, and he said, yeah, look, it's gone. It's just frayed away, that particular ACL, that fake ligament. So right. I had another one done on my right knee. This time they used the patella tendon, and that was about 92, I think, at Oakley. Mm-hmm. Shane O'Sullivan was coached at Oakley that year, the Carlton man. Mm-hmm. And I um, had a RICO at the end of that year, and I got that knee going really well. That was, I had a really good year in the VFA in the early 90s, so that was after my second recall on that knee. But then the irony of it all is, at the second last game of the year, playing out at Port Melbourne, and um, I was going okay again, and he was feeling great. And I went down in a screaming heap, and um, I'd done my left ACL. Oh. So that was, in 90, that was in 92, the end of 92. But the irony in that was the sitting in the grandstand, and the Port Melbourne coach was Doug Searle. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. So he's witnessing yeah, it. Yeah, so he said to me, look, you know, he saw it and he goes, oh, no. He just thought, oh, no, not again. Yeah. Yeah. But you. It sounds like but you're a determined player. Like, for other. You know, if that happened to me, I'm that's it. I'm stopping. Even after the yeah. first thing. But you're a, you had this determination, didn't you? Well, I suppose you, you lived and breathed at, at the time, at that age. I, was, I went okay as a junior, through up to under-15s, and I think I, I always thought I'd be able to have a crack at, at playing VFL football. Looking back, I don't think I would have made it. I didn't have the athleticism. But, yeah, so you live and breathe it, and your family's into it. They live and breathe it. So it's not something you just want to – you just sort of can move on from because I, I absolutely loved the game and loved the game. So – but I mean, after the third one, uh, I came back the following year, and I was playing at Oakley Reserves. I was twenty-five, probably turning 20, 24, turning twenty-five, mm. and I started. Both knees were hurting me, and I thought, "Yeah, this is this is no good." And well, um, Paran that year, I was down at Oakley, and I always remember watching Brian Taylor, BT, walk across the ground. He was coaching Paran, and I remember him hobbling across the ground, and I thought, "Well." I don't want to be like that when I'm yeah. when I'm forty. I've got to start to think about my body. So the reality, I yeah. gave it away. Yeah, that's when I gave it away. So I gave it away. I think I was twenty-four. Yeah, that was it. What did life after football bring you? What did you? Where did uh, that take you? 
Uh, well, I fell into, I sort of fell into coaching. Coaching. <laughs> the Doug Searle yes, rubbed off on you, I think. <laughs> well, I did PE. I, I, I did PE teaching, so I had that degree. I just probably finished that degree. And the footy club at Oakley in 94 was looking for a reserves coach. Michael Ford was coaching the seniors, the ex-St Kilda guy. Right. St Kilda and Foots, Foots Ray. And um, they asked me to coach the reserves. So I fell into that that year in 94, which turned out to be Oakley's Finally, you in the VFA, and I coached the reserves there. And um, then from there, Salesian old boys were in the amateurs, and they pulled me across and asked me to coach there. So I had eight or nine years coaching there, which was was fantastic for me in that I was still involved in football. And I, those guys, I was sort of a similar age to a lot of them, so I, I could socialise with them. We, we won a premiership, and they're still all great mates of mine now. So in a way, that kept yeah. the foot in the door, and I was able to still experience the football side of things. But from a coaching perspective yeah and did you find yourself at times you were able to you know relate I mean did you ever tell them your story did you ever say you know I had to overcome this and this and particularly if there was a maybe a play that you coached who had injured themselves as well I find their eyes have started to glaze over red when I start I understand, yeah. because it's you know how much detail you want to go into yeah. and uh, it's a bit of a you know it's not a it's sort of it's self-indulgent, yeah, yeah. I think. So you, unless people express an interest, um, you don't tend to go there, and it's not sort of something that yeah. is really happy memories for me. So um, yeah. I, if I come across someone that had, had a knee injury, and there was a couple of players for me that had, had recos, we might talk about it. Yeah. So occasionally you know, you'd talk about your different experiences with knee injuries. Mm-hmm. But I think it gave me a really good um, good empathy for the for the body and for rehab and for, recovery, for understanding guys' injuries. I spent hours and hours at the physios, um, Mike Kennahan and, that, and, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, Steve, up at Melbourne Sports Medicine Centre. They were the guys that did a lot of work for Richmond, so I spent hours in the physio. So that was a, almost a vocation that I tried to get into later on because I'd seen what they did. Um, so it gave me some empathy for, for understanding, I think, what you know, rehab and, and the body and everything like that. So I was able to just have that with my players and understanding the knocks and the rigors that they went through. Uh, even now, I still, you know, guys that play amateur football, what they put their bodies through is amazing and they probably don't really understand what could happen to them later on as a result of it. But, you know, you, sp- you speak about me being determined, but, you, you know, you watch these guys playing up until their 30s and a lot of them are playing for no money at all. They rock up and they pay to play. It's an amazing passion when you think about what they put their bodies through. Yeah. Yeah. At the time at Richmond, did you... Was there any sort of merging with the seniors? Did you get to see? I mean, Patterson was coached, then Sproul and Tony Jewell. Did they were they anywhere in your eye line at any stage during that period? Oh, no, really, no. They didn't. They didn't, didn't train really. all together. You know, the seniors no. and the reserve preseason. No, not to, no, not to my recollection. Yeah. Not at all. The most was some interaction in the gym. Um, I never recall um, Patterson or Jewell or anyone taking a, a training session. Hmm. Um, I think I was I was gone by the time your dad took over. Yeah, late eighty so seven sure. he was appointed, and then he sort of eighty eight was when he sort of started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I don't recall a lot of mixing there between the nineties and the seniors training. No, not at all. Now you did mention to me that one of the people at the time was was Craig Lambert, and you said it's mm. no surprise he finished up in a welfare role. Why is that? Well, I suppose yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, being a little bit of an outsider in the in the gym, so he came in with, the, I think, the new crop at the start of 87. And at that stage, I was in rehab again. And, um, 
he, I mean, I hadn't played with him at all, and um, I was just this guy <laughs> hanging around in the gym and trying to get back on the track. And he mm-hmm. made an impression straight away. I still remember one of the practice matches um, at halftime, Surly pointing him out, uh, making a point about a particular thing in the game and saying, well, he's doing it, you know, Lammy's doing it, mm-hmm. and pointing at him. And I remember Craig Lamb sitting there. I reckon he was wearing a blue polo shirt. I, I don't think he even had a football jumper on. Uh, just that thing that sticks in my mind. So whether he forgot to bring his jumper or everyone had to bring their own, I don't know. But it wouldn't have mattered what what Lambie was wearing when he was playing football. He would have racked up the possessions. But he just he was just infectious. I remember him um, taking interest in me. How are you going? And, and I'd get out there and train, and he'd sort of pump me up, surly, and say, "We've got to get this guy right. We've got to get him back." But it was just that. Uh, I think it was an innate thing that came naturally to him. I don't think it was something he fabricated. He, mm. To me, he wanted to see everyone around him do well, um, and he, he was that passionate about the footy and the game and playing the game that I think he saw in other people what what mm. they could do as well. So he just seemed to take the time out to even get to know me and to want me to come back and do well. I just thought at the time it was unusual because he had no reason to have that interest in me. So when he kicked on and became welfare, and I see he's been, there was an article on him, funnily enough, last week yeah, about right. a lot of people talking him up. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised by that because yeah. I think that was something that's just been in him the whole time. No, lo- lovely guy. I obviously <clears throat> began to know him when Dad was coach because he was yeah. seniors by that stage as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Quickly, before Richmond, you were there was a, a skill squad with I think it was Ted Soderbloom yeah. and Noel Bosch. That's right. Noel, yeah. who I'm hoping to make a phone call through to in the next week or so. Uh, Neil Ross gave me his number. Um, uh, I've heard many people praise Noel and his and his coaching and the setup he had. What do you remember of that? Um. I'm pretty sure. I think Ted Soderblom was my first one. So yeah. we might have been the younger group. I'd say that looking back now, so Ted had the younger group. He's still going strong, Teddy. Is he? <laughs> yeah, well, well, speaking of lovely guys, yeah. oh, he's yeah. an absolute, he's an absolute oh, totally. lovely, yeah, yeah. loveliest bloke and very different to Noel. Not that Noel wasn't a lovely guy as well, but Ted was definitely softer, um, more softly spoken. But... And uh, so we used to go up. I think I started up going up to Burwood. There was a hall in Burwood um, for one year with Ted, and then it was to Rusden for a year or two after that at the hall up at Rusden, but with Noel Bosch. But I suppose mm. um, Ted was more reserved, but Noel was, I think, more of a, a man's man type. Um, yeah. as you, you think about the comments, the things that you remember. One thing I remember about Noel was him saying to us, you know, to get an edge any way you can. And he said, if, if you're going to turn up at pre-season or you're going to play, go out and play a game in a practice match, you know, wear your shorts a bit tighter, get some tighter shorts, get some, get a suntan, look the part, look better, <laughs> and that will have an impact on your opposition. So just little things like that. And I remember sure. thinking as a young guy, geez, that's an unusual thing, but um, you know, wear your shorts a bit tighter. But basically saying any way you can intimidate your opposition or, or look yeah, apart. But yeah. just an old-fashioned way of looking. <laughs> I think that was more what Noel was about, yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> the... But, yeah, I, I, the skill squads, though, my main thing today, I think the rocket handball. <laughs> the rocket handball, the yes. All I think about is the rocket handball. So that was just drilled into you, the rocket handball. And the left side of your body or your opposite side, so you did right. a lot of work. A lot of work on the on the opposite side of your body and the rocket handball. That's a handball. great idea, yeah. 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 Because yeah. were you a right footer? 
I was, yeah. Okay. yeah. And what position did you normally play when you play with the under-19s? Um, in the middle, generally. Okay. Yeah, as a centerman, centerman half-forward type. So um, I like to try and find space and get it on my own, so that suited mm. me a little bit. Yeah, so more of a, yeah, on the on-ball type. It was only uh, earlier this month that the club um, sort of recognised Teddy Soderblom's service to Richmond. Mm. He, he's 55 years. Wow. Yep. He started, you know, as a recruiter back in the 60s and... Yeah, all those skill squads, and I think he was—I think he coached the little league at one point for for quite yeah. a few years. And you know, he was just everywhere. He was in, everywhere. <laughs> I think he's still—he's still at the club, you know, a couple of days a week, volunteering yeah. in the property. So I think they've yeah. named the property room after him. Um, you know, yeah. After yeah. which is deservedly so. Yeah. Did did football run in your family? Did anyone in your family go on to play? You know, high level football, either before no. or, or since. No, um, Dad tells me he was a really good, or he told me he was a fantastic junior player, but he, he became a bookmaker, so he delved oh. into, he had to go to the races wow. <laughs> on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, so Dad was a bookmaker from the age of 17 or 18. He reckons he was the youngest bookmaker probably ever. Um, so that cut short his his football career. Um, but I had five older sisters, Rhett, so back in those days there no. was no, and they were all football mad, but of course there wasn't the, the female football avenues no. like there is now. That would have been perfect and, for them in these days. Yeah, the yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, no, no, no other family connections really kicked on. My younger brother was a good cricketer, but um, he didn't play any, any high level of football. So Now 2017, Richmond break the drought and win the flag. Yeah. Were you there? Yeah. Were you watching? I was there. You were there. I was there, and I was absolutely there. And the younger brother I speak about, he now lives in London. He flew over from London for the game. I managed to score a couple of tickets, and uh, we could married ourselves up there in the in the in the grandstand. We managed to get ourselves in together, so it was an amazing day. Yeah. Just you still look back on it and think about it, and it was just yeah, an amazing day. Everything about it. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I went to all the finals. Um, oh wow, brilliant. Yeah, and uh, yeah, for someone that's been through the last thirty years, <laughs> I'm yes. sure you spoke to a lot of people in the same boat. Um, yeah, it was just an incredible day. So hopefully, again in a couple of weeks, yeah, we can do the same crossed. thing. Fingers crossed. Mm, yeah. Now, for those who for those who saw you play, Peter, um, whether it be at Gosh's Paddock that fateful day or at uh, Punt Road, uh, we we want to thank you for your time at Tigerland in the under nineteens. Um, we appreciate. All the effort that you did and your family, obviously, um, at that stage. So we're, we're very grateful for your time there. So thank you. No, thanks a lot, Rhett. And, uh, yeah, just look, I would love to have contributed more, but it wasn't to be. But look, in the whole scheme of things, it's not that big a deal really, is it? But uh, <laughs> You can still <laughs> say you're a tiger land. It's all right. You're a yeah, tiger through right. and through, but... That's right. That's right. So just my little story. Just a shout-out to a good mate of mine, Joey Gabuio, who um, used to walk past my joint every night and we'd catch the train in together so it was a few nights there becoming you know becoming a bit tedious getting the train in there two or three times a week but joey lived up the road and used to come past every night and pick me up we used to walk to the station so just say g'day to g'day to joe he went on to win a list and trophy at oakley right actually, a bit later on yeah how did he go how did he go at richmond itself do you know he... Oh, he had, yeah, he had one or two good years in the under-19s, but yeah. he, he never made it with the reserves. He would have paid a little bit of reserves football. I'm not sure how much, but no, he was back at Oakley probably from the age of 20, 19 or 20, I'd say, and he had a great career. Yeah. yeah. A quick Google search certainly brings him up, and uh, yeah. his uh, VFA days, yes, definitely. Yeah. 
Is that so, fantastic? Anyway. That's great. Yeah, anyway. So thanks for your time, Rhett. Appreciate it.